You're listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached during the online worship service of Central United Methodist Church. We are located in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to join us for our live worship experience through Facebook or Zoom every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Visit www.cumcballston.org for details. There you can also learn more about our congregation where we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. A reading from Job, chapter 28, verses 12 through 28. But where shall wisdom be found, and where is a place of understanding? Mortals do not know the way to it, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, It is not in me, and the sea said, It is not with me. It cannot be gotten for gold, and silver cannot be weighed out as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The chrysolite of Ethiopia cannot compare with it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned out the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the thunderbolt, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to humankind, Truly the fear of the Lord that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This morning, we welcome our guest preacher, Deacon Heather Feltman, who serves as the Director of Church Operations at Bethlehem Lutheran Church located in St. Charles, Illinois. Heather first preached this sermon to her congregation last month as part of their Unraveled series, and I am delighted to welcome her today to share God's Word with us. You know, the book of Job is a curious thing. It starts with two chapters of exposition. God makes a bet that Job will stay faithful if God takes everything away. And so, God takes everything away. Job's estate disappears. Job's children die. Job's body fails. Job is left with nothing. And then we have 39 chapters before we arrive at the climax of the story. 39 chapters of poetry. 39 chapters of lament, 39 chapters of argument, 39 chapters of Job and Job's friends and God going round after round after round over who gets to be angry, who gets to be in charge, who gets to complain, who does God think God is to make us suffer in this way, who does Job think he is to question or wonder or struggle, Why? Why do bad things happen to good people? And why does the world have this huge crack running through it? And then, and then in chapter 28, our reading for today, there is a pause. 
Beautiful stanzas of poetry coming as something of a break during this long siege of arguments and counter-arguments between Job and Job's three friends. Job 28 offers us a calm moment of reflection on the ultimately impossible human quest to find and comprehend the wisdom that belongs only to God. Today's reading points us to something else that God does and God is. Today's reading is a poem, a poem about God's wisdom. We often don't think of or imagine this concept of wisdom. Wisdom stands as a powerful embodiment of the divine activity in the world. In Hebrew, the word for wisdom is known and understood in female terms. The ancient writers describe wisdom this way. She is a reflection of eternal light, a spotless mirror of the working God, an image of God's goodness. Wisdom is offered as an intimate point of connection with God. Wisdom not only reveals the divine within herself, but also points beyond herself, gesturing toward the rich mystery of the God whom we can never fully capture with any name or image. Wisdom, wisdom offers us a creative call to broaden our understanding of God and of the ways God works in the world. She, she who danced at creation invites us to move in new ways as God continues to bring the world into being. Wisdom, wisdom draws us toward the God with whom she dwells, beckoning us into relationship with God. I think this poem, this poem we have today is a clue pointing us to what the author of the story hopes will remember. Humans, wise as we may be, still are not God. And you know, sometimes we do need to be reminded of this because how easily are we drawn into the belief that we are in control of our lives? And then when finally something starts to unravel around us, we are quickly reminded of the truth. We aren't and actually never have been. You know, God eventually comes and speaks to Job from inside a whirlwind. Most of what God talks about is this awesome wonder of creation. This whole lawsuit brought up by Job will come to a complicated close. Yes, many of Job's fortunes are restored, though Job never quite gets the straight answer he is seeking from God, or it does not seem like God comes off as a very compassionate one to Job's suffering. What Job does have is a new understanding a new understanding of the nature of God. God is no longer this parent waiting to punish his missteps, but instead the power and the spirit that is at the root of all life. And maybe this is its own kind of gift. How much less shame and hurt would there be in the world if people no longer imagined all the bad things that befall them? as a retribution from a God who is keeping score. In the face of devastating news, our human gut reaction and temptation might be to doubt God or run from God. But let us take a lesson from Job, that even through all the unraveling Job is experiencing in his life, Job keeps talking to God. 
Job certainly has more questions than answers, but his faith, Job's faith eggs him on. Even in the midst of all this unraveling, Job is not willing to give up on God. And Job instinctively knows God is not willing to give up on him. I recently read this book by Kate Bowler. She's the author of this book called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. And she writes that while she was suffering with stage four colon cancer, she learned some life lessons for some people who tried to teach her in the middle of this suffering. And she writes that these lessons that she got from people were sometimes even worse than the cancer herself. And Kate, in these learnings, kind of um, placed her lessons into three kind of groupings. First, she writes that there are these minimizers that she experienced. These were the people who tried to teach her that death isn't the ultimate end. She should therefore stop complaining or searching and just accept her reality as is. Then Kate shares there's a second grouping of folks. These were what she calls the teachers. These are that group of people who focus on why this experience is supposed to be an education for her. One man wrote to her and she, he wrote, I hope you have a Job experience. I can't think of anything worse to wish on someone, Kate writes, especially if you know the story. Yet the hardest of the three lessons, she says, came from this group called the Solutions People, who are always presenting a solutions-focused type of theology. These were those letter writers that are not something trying to just give me something. They are seem to be tallying up the sum of my life, she says, sometimes for clues, sometimes for answers, and always to pronounce a verdict. But I am not on trial. Kate writes, and she continually reminds herself. You know, it takes 27 chapters in Job for his friends to realize that Job is not on trial either. His friends actually start out as models for what to do when a friend is suffering. His friends go and sit with him for seven days and seven nights. They just sit. They just sit and listen, which is the best comfort a friend can provide. But then after seven days, they turn into these kind of people that Kate in her book is warning us about. Chapter after chapter, they try to explain to Job the possible reasons for his suffering. He must have done something wrong, his friend Eliphaz says. God is always right, Bildad adds. Even if Job does not know what he's done wrong, Zophar says, God does. Job should just go ahead Say he is sorry and let God apply the repentance that is required. You know, though we learn later, God will silence all of this prognostication. But, you know, we listen to it now to see how defending the theological system of right, wrong, good, bad, sin, suffering doesn't really work in all times and in all circumstances. It doesn't work in the face of unexplainable suffering. It just makes things worse. So chapter 28 arrives as a kind of conclusion, a gift to all this madness. Wisdom, it observes, is more difficult to pin down the most than the most difficult to find resources on the planet. You can't mine it. 
You can't buy it. You can't trade for it. You can't even find it a lot of the time. God, God's the only one who has found a way to it. So the best that we can do to get close to wisdom is to get close to God. Kate Bowler said that the letter writers who gave her the most comfort were never the people trying to teach her the answer to the why questions. They were the people who wrote about who was there, who was there in their own suffering. One letter writer wrote to Bowler, God was there in this indescribable sense of peace and love that changed him forever. He says, I have no idea how this works, but I wish this for you as you move forward through your cancer journey. You know, I have witnessed this kind of love right here in our church, that kind of love we display for and to each other when things unravel in our own lives. The loss of a job, a cancer diagnosis, the death of a loved one, the end of a marriage, the drinking that's really hard to stop, the crippling kind of depression that makes it hard to get out of bed in the morning, or the anxiety that is sweeping over so many of us right now during this COVID pandemic. I have witnessed time and time again how many of you move, how many of you move to sit in the ashes right alongside the one who is suffering and lean into that all-encompassing, unexplainable sense that you are loved by a God who defies explanation and keeps showing up no matter what. If that is part of the wisdom of worshiping this God, then it is enough for us to trust, even when we can't answer all the questions that arise from our own suffering. Yes, we will keep asking the questions too, and I think God anticipates that we will keep asking them, and that even in our worst suffering, love, love finds a way into our hearts. Dear siblings in Christ, the witness of the book of Job is that rage and even blame directed at God are valid moments in our life of faith. Sometimes that is all we have. The deepest places of our knowledge of God are often those places which we cannot explain our experiences of tranquility and peace in the presence of fear and stress, a sense of comfort known deeply when death is near. As people of faith, these are the moments we treasure and cherish and puzzle over and pay attention to. These are the sacred mysteries that we as church cannot often explain. But just like Job, as people of God, yes, we want an explanation. We want to know why. We want an accounting. More often than not, what we are given are moments of holy mystery. When there is nothing left, when all of our wealth and coveted possessions are long gone and all our loved ones have long been buried, what is left is the God of all creation who laid the foundation of the earth, who walked in the recesses of the deep, who created everything that breathes. For ultimately, the content of God's answer to Job doesn't matter really that much. 
as much as this. God, God answered. God answered, that is the miracle. Yes, the chaos is still there. The pain is still there, but so is God. The book of Job is not a book about justifying God's actions. It is a book about Job's spiritual transformation to live with a new understanding of the world and the human condition and Job's place within it. What I love best about Job's story is we do not have to be very polite about asking our whys either to God. You know, in the end, God prefers Job's outrage to the piety of Job's friends. So when we are in despair or in pain, we, you and I, are invited to yell out to God as loudly as we want. And we might even choose to throw in a few other choice words as well, whatever it takes. As my theology professor, Dr. Charlie Siegel, once said, devout defiance pleases God. Devout defiance pleases God. So today, let's not worry about the unraveling. Let's not rush to tidy the loose strings. Let's sit in a mess of scraps and threads without trying to bring them together. Let's offer ourselves. Let's offer our tears. Let's offer our laughter. Let's offer all that we have and all that we don't rather than trying to hold everything together. Let's let go and let us hold space together. My prayer for all of us this day is that we keep on talking to God by taking any questions we might have directly to our Creator. And in the midst of our questioning, and yes, even in our yelling and our blaming, let us remember God is always right there in the midst of it all, always loving us, caring for us. Thanks be to God.